Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Jones, also known as Jew in the City. Before we begin with this week's super interesting guest and topic, I want to tell you that you should make sure to tune in to NahumSiegel.com during the halftime of the big game on Sunday, February 4th, for the 5th Annual NSN Kosher Halftime Show. This year's show, hosted by Nahum Siegel, stars Ohad, Mayor Kay, and a unique performance at Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. Again, that's Sunday, February 4th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Nahum Siegel Network, NahumSiegel.com. Here at Jew in the City, we do a lot of stereotype breaking down, but we don't just explain how things are in Orthodoxy and with Orthodox Jews. Really a large part of what we hope to accomplish here is to show that Orthodox Judaism and Orthodox Jews live relevant lives, live meaningful lives. Um, and there's a movement that's been happening for the last several months in the world at large. Um, started with uh, the, the Harvey Weinstein uh, scandal from many months ago. Um, the Me Too movement, I'm sure by now anyone who has not been living under a rock is familiar with it. Um, and it sort of had a, a, a bunch of different, um, I guess, uh, sections to it or parts to it. Um, there was one point where it seemed like every day there was another, you know, celebrity or um, talk show host that was, you know, having allegations against them. Um, you know, at this point, I feel like people saw stars they really looked up to or believed in, politicians they cared about, um, and, you know, felt very disappointed with the allegations that came out. Then there's been, you know, somewhat of a pushback. Do we automatically believe what, you know, the people who make the allegations are saying? Um, things got more complicated recently um, with actor Aziz Ansari. I wrote about it on JunemaCity.com, um, where there was a woman who had a date with him where he seemed to force her, pressure her. Was it assault? Wasn't it assault? Um, was it just a bad date? Um, and sort of all of these different topics swirling around got me thinking recently, um, we really need to talk about um, the Jewish approach to consent and the Jewish approach to um, marital intimacy. And the challenge with a topic like this is that we really have um, a concept in Judaism of modesty. Um, and so while there are concepts that are very important to know, that are crucial to know, um, we're very careful with how we talk about them, where we publicize them. And it's really this tension of um, making important things known because, um, you know, uh, the relationship between a husband and wife, this is the foundation of the Jewish home, and this is the foundation then of Jewish society, um, how the two interact. So it's so essential that correct information is given. Um, but at the same time, um, we don't want to enter into the lewdness that, you know, so much of... Um, the Hollywood world that we're criticizing um, is part of. So um, I have invited on today um, a very uh, special woman named Lisa, Lisa Septimus. She's the Uetzer Halacha of the Five Towns and Great Neck. She teaches Talmud and women and Jewish law at North Shore Hebrew Academy High School and is a director of special programs. She plays an active role as Rebbitzin at the Young Israel of North Woodmere, where she is involved with adult education and youth programming. Lisa is a graduate of the first class of Nishmat Yuatzot Halacha Fellowship of the United States, GPATS, and has a master's in Bible from YU's Bernard Revel Graduate School. She's lectured throughout the New York area, is married to Rabbi Yehuda Septimus, and is the mother of four young children. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the show today to discuss um, some of these sources. I felt like I wanted to talk to a woman about these topics. Okay. Happy to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. 
Um, so, you know, I, I think, um, I mean, I guess, first of all, you know, you're teaching in, in high school. Is there any, and you're teaching, you know, women in the halacha in, in some of these topics, does anything ever come up in terms of, like, your classes? I'm saying, is this any sort of a, a topic that, can, you know, can ever come up in a high school, or is it a little bit too risque to bring up? Um, no, it definitely, you know, uh, I teach both freshmen and seniors this year. So uh, they, they're taught very differently. Um, mm -hmm. I actually, in, in, in knowing that I was going to be having this interview, I happened to mention that I was going to be speaking about the Jewish perspective on Me Too, and mm -hmm. I was really shocked how a bunch of the students, it took them a moment to say, oh, what is that? And sometimes they're... Um, Students can be not as tuned into what's going on in the in the larger world than we would expect, and it's the role of a teacher to inform them, and especially in a Jewish school when the values of the larger society may be different in this area than they are in our religion and our tradition, then it's important to have moments to discuss it, of course, in a mature and careful way. Sure. Um, okay, so, you know, I have some questions that, um, you know, we had sort of talked about. I think even the way that we're approaching this topic, um, we're being sort of very sensitive, you know, kind of what we're going to touch on. And I would say, um, if you have any, um, I guess, thoughts on follow-up for any listeners afterwards, what they can do if they'd like to continue this, you know, information offline in a more private setting where they can go for a resource. I think that's really important. We, we published some sources on Jew in the City a while ago and gave some, um, you know, follow-up information. And when that post came out, um, it was, you know, many, many views and many, many people um, asking for more information. And I guess I want to make right. one point that, um, you know, it's come to my attention, to my knowledge, that there are people raised within the Orthodox world that have a misunderstanding of our own sources of our own philosophies um, to the point where things are not working out the way they should be um, in their marital lives, um, which is terribly upsetting. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the negativity that comes from there then, you know, is what spawns the negative headlines, the negative associations with our community, um, because I think the sources themselves are, you know, there's so much positivity there. So um, I guess the first thing I was wondering that I presented to you was, what sources can we look to which describe consent? Okay. Well, I definitely ad um, agree with you that so much of the negativity can center around um, behavior or wrong impressions, and I'm really happy we have the chance to clarify some stuff. And one of the amazing things um, in thinking about consent is that the whole way that the Torah thinks about sexuality is a remarkable way. So in the Torah, there are two different verbs that are used to describe a sexual encounter between a man and a woman. The first verb is the word yada, and the second is shachav. Shachav is usually used if and when the sexual act is immoral, either, either because it is an adulterous act, some form of rape, something negative. 
and yada is used for a sexual act that is that occurs in the context of a positive relationship, a marriage. Um, so the word the verb yada means to know, and the verb shachav means to lie with, to sleep with. Mm-hmm. And the word to know, the verb to know, really reminds me in the English language of the, using the word intimacy in place of intercourse. Mm. Because when we use the word intercourse, it, it feels so cold. It's just referring to an act, some sort of sexual right. act. But the word intimacy implies that context, mm. that the couple engaging in that sexual act is getting to know one another and achieving an emotional bond as well. So um, throughout Jewish literature, there's not only an emphasis on sex being a holy act, which is reserved for marriage, but also um, a very conscious awareness on the power of the sexual drive and the potential that one has to misuse these acts to use sexuality as a way to wrong another person or objectify another person. And because of the potential for objectification, the Torah has many restrictions in place to prevent this from happening. So Can I just say, like, where we are right now in one... society, I think that we're, the pendulum is swinging. Like, a few months ago, everybody um, mocked Mike Pence for talking about the fences that he put up to be careful around other women so that he could be respectful of his wife. And now suddenly we're seeing, and that's not to say that, right. um, um, you know, being proper and, you know, trying to have sort of boundaries um, is a surefire plan to prevent rape or assault because, you know, bad guys will always find a way to um, perpetrate. Right. But um, I think people do have more of an awareness towards um, towards that. Sorry, continue. That I just wanted to... to yeah, to no, uh, I think that that is interesting. That was a, an incredible moment where Mike Pence said that. Um, it obviously right away brought to mind the prohibition of yichud, which I was just yeah. about to speak of, which is that a single uh, man is forbidden to be alone or in a locked room with a woman who's not his wife, who he's not married yeah. to, um, which doesn't mean that a man and a woman can't talk, can't interact, can't have respectful conversations that's, that involve really getting to know one another. Um, but... What I think is really interesting is, in it, aside from all these restrictions, let's say people don't observe these. Let's say things get out of hand. They do end up together. They end up, a woman ends up in a man's apartment or is dressed a certain way. Unlike our culture, which has often pointed fingers at the woman and put the blame on her um, for whatever se- sexual act occurs or whatever is done to her, rabbinic law puts the burden more on the man. Hmm. It's the man's responsibility to monitor his actions, monitor Mm -hmm. what he looks at, monitor the way he behaves and whether he touches a woman or not. Mm -hmm. Jewish law does not blame a woman um, for for a man's lack of, if a man has lack of self-control. Um, it, it puts responsibility on the person himself. That being said, a woman also 
has her own responsibilities. Um, obviously, she is. There are are laws, uh, which which instruct her to act and dress a certain way as well and to um, observe the laws of modesty. But failure of her observing these standards in no way permits a man to touch her without consent. And even within the context of marriage, consent is 100% necessary for any sexual activity. So that's really, and like these laws are old laws, um, and I don't know, you know, if you know anything about, um, I guess, history, what was going on simultaneously to when these laws were codified, but I'm saying this is in the Gemara, so this is, this is bringing us back already a good 1,500 years ago, um, that this is written down, and it's an oral tradition before that, but I've got to imagine that um, this was groundbreaking for treatment of women um, a couple thousand years ago, Yes. Um, as far as I know, you know, one of, the, one of the things that is amazing about the Talmud is it gets into such a level of detail, which sometimes for my high school students can be uh, a little bit over the top or, you know, confusing for them. But whereas other societies may not have... Um, reviewed and codified laws over sexuality and marriage, and certainly not in this level of detail, uh, the Talmud does. And so just mentioning a few of those laws, because I, uh, I said that even within marriage, consent is required. There's a Gemara in Erevin, um 100b that says, a man may not force his wife to perform any sexual act, even though it is a mitzvah. Mm-hmm. And similarly, the Gemara in Nadarim says that a man cannot sleep with his wife when he is drunk or when she is drunk because full consent is not possible. So despite the fact that the, the rabbinic view on intimacy is that it's an it's a mitzvah and it's an important uh, part of a relationship. It can never be done without consent. And I think, this and of is course, so it makes thing. sense. Sorry. Oh no, I know. Even like the part about drunkness, I'm saying like how many you know campus assaults are happening um, when there's a lot of drinking involved. You know the. These topics are so relevant to today, um, and I've been watching a lot of Law and Order SVU recently, and it's just one <laughs> giant Me Too, um, you know, 20, 19 seasons of it. But I mean, it's I guess you know, it's sort of these principles have always been that way, um, and we need, you know, I guess like American law to tell someone, you know, that's considered rape if she was drunk when you know the guy can't figure it out on the college campus, um, and here were these rabbis. Um, that people perceive as misogynists and women haters that were really making this clear so long ago that um, to give full consent, she, she has to be sober. Right, right. I think it really goes back to um, the concept of yada and the concept of intimacy rather than just shachav or intercourse. Yeah. Yeah. That, that how can this be a true act of intimacy 
if someone's so out of it, they barely know what's happening, or they're barely able to give consent, or they're barely able to hear or feel or see or understand what a woman is desiring or not desiring. You know, in order to to have um, an equal and a partner in in intimacy, they they both have to be present. You know, which means you can. It's not that Judaism. Uh, demands that one that a husband and wife can never have a glass of wine together, but right. they it, it's it's not reaching a certain level where you're really unable to make decisions. But I would or say to communicate it's decisions. A, a separate sort of um, I guess reading or sort of understanding of yada of knowing not just to be sober and awake, but also um, of like reading her. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. I know we spoke beforehand that the Aziz Ansari thing is very sort of sticky and people don't quite know what to do with it. But, you know, my understanding, um, and this is what I wrote about, um, I think if he'd only been listening to this woman, and I know there was talk of that it was verbal cues and nonverbal cues, but she kept repeatedly telling him, slow down, and, you know, I don't want this to be forced. And um, I think, you know, in a situation, and again, I'm, you know, I'm not going to rule if it's uh, assault or not assault, but I think really where a couple is connecting and knows each other and um, is there to understand what the other one is feeling, um, I, I think that that's a point where you're not going to have that issue of misunderstandings the next day and, you know, regret or remorse. It's going to be that in the moment you're really connected um, mentally um, and, you know, through very clear um, understandings and indications about, you know, what she does or doesn't desire. Um, and then that makes it an act that brings the two together and not something that's for something that feels um, really degrading and um, upsetting. Right. A hundred percent, you know, and, and again, um, without getting into the specifics of, of the Ansari case, you know, it, it it it's confusing in our culture when people are are having sexual encounters with people they barely know because within regular pop culture you have people who um, seek out S and M and alternative ways of being and you have people who want a gentle loving style and you have people like. You can, on some level, even understand how horrible miscommunication and assault ends up occurring and is very confusing and why we have so many different versions of what even occurred. And you're right that within a marriage and within two people who have gotten to know each other and trust each other and commit a life together, shared values, then there's they have a greater sense of of each other's desires and rhythms and and um what they like and an ability and and an ability to communicate it clearly to one another um there's a rashi in masachet nida 17a where he says you know even though um relations is a mitzvah is a mitzvah we should not look upon it like a commandment. We shouldn't mm-hmm. look upon it like an obligation. It should be something that is done for, for pleasure, for bringing a couple together. And therefore, it shouldn't be done if the couple is exhausted or 
you know, not, not in a good place. Um, and I, and I, I think that is, like you said, going, Rashi's pointing out that it's not just about consent, but it's about reading the other person, their desires, their feelings in the moment, and when the right moments are for them. Um, of course, over the span of a marriage, there are times that are more stressful, more exhausting, times where a couple might feel distant from one another, and where desire may not occur as regularly or may, or, or may be a little less than at other times. And it's important, I think, for each spouse to stretch themselves a little bit and to continue to value and engage in intimacy, not, not just from physical desire, but also from the desire to make one's house, spouse happy and the desire to strengthen the relationship and the marriage. And I think if I could just sort of, um, I guess, pipe in or sort of clarify what that means, if for some reason, you know, one side is feeling less into things, probably try to work through whatever's going on, if there's an added stress, if there's some sort of chemical thing, but to find a way to seek help to hopefully bring things back to some sort of normalcy so that this, you know, period of being apart doesn't last for too long. Am, am I saying that correctly? I think that's definitely one way. I think everyone everyone kind of deals with the ups and downs and stresses of life in different ways. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, some people by maybe seeking help or therapy and, and others um, in not every not everyone has those opportunities or takes advantage of those opportunities but i i think what i what i meant is that um, desire uh, there always has to be consent and there always has to be desire but that desire doesn't always mean the way we imagine it to be physical it can sometimes be a desire to invest in the relationship and to mm-hmm. give in that physical component as well Okay, so fine. So doing that sort of as a, an act of kindness to your spouse, but not in a way that would make you feel resentful or bitter or like it's more than you can handle. Correct. That has to be one of those things where you're... Correct. And this is, again, where my rabbis in seminary always said that the, the fifth book of the Shulchan Aruch is Seichel, that there has to be some sense to it that you can sort of know yourself and what's normal um, and not be stretched to something that um, you can handle, but at the same time recognize that you're in a relationship and a relationship is a partnership and has give and take. Absolutely. Absolutely. What if the Um, woman is interested in her husband, but he is not interested in her? Um, I know that in the Ksuba, she has certain things promised to her. He does not get those things promised to him. So how does that play out? (laughs) Right. Well, um, the, the halakhic language is often talking to the male audience. So uh, the good news for, for us women is what that means is the conjugal duties um, is one of the obligations that a man has towards his wife, not, not that is described that a woman has towards her husband. Um, but that being said, intimacy is really a two-way street. And a couple really getting to know each other and really building on a loving relationship through 
through sexuality and through physically being together really should involve each one wanting to please and pleasure the other. Um, but you asked, what if the woman is interested and not her husband? That being said, the same way we would, oh, oh, we would want the husband to respect when it's not a good time for his wife, when she's not interested, uh, on, on a human level, uh, certainly I would hope that most wives would um, respect Yourself. that as well if, if um, you know, the, it wasn't the right time for her husband. And we're, uh, we're just about out of time here. Just If you could just uh, finish up one last question quickly, um, and this flew by. Sure. Um, are there any signs in Jewish texts that a man should use to know if his wife is interested? Um, good question. There, well, first of all, there are a lot of interesting Gemaras where um, the rabbis give one another um, advice in this area in how to go about um, pleasuring um, uh, one's wife, age and foreplay, sort of how to put her in a state where she will, will it, where it will arouse her desire. Um, so there are specific suggestions, which I won't get into now, but, you know, feel free to browse the Talmud for some interesting material. Um, but I want to go back to that uh, you know, the first point we made in this conversation about the word yada and that if sexuality, if positive sexuality is really about knowing another person, every woman, every couple, every man is unique. And each of us responds differently, both in terms of physically, our bodies, and emotionally. So, you know... Judaism would promote that a husband get to know his wife, get to know what pick, what, how she feels bonded and emotionally connected to him, and what her physical interests are, and vice versa. And that's really, um, there's no source to teach you that. That's really what each couple has to navigate for themselves. It's really like I already liked being Jewish beforehand, um, but it just makes it so clear because I'm thinking of this this whole casual sex debate. It doesn't allow, you know, room to get to know what the person wants or what makes them happy. And I think women have just been playing this game because that's how they thought they could get quote unquote love or attention. And I don't think it's going well for them. Um, we are out of time. Is there any place that anyone listening can call in for more information or look up for more information? Um, sure. Well, first of all, um, there is um, the Nishmat website and the Yoa website, yoatzot.org, um, and there are many individual Yoatzot in the communities in the United States and beyond who are always happy to talk further about this and to give more information and um, be, be a, a person of support to any women who are struggling in these areas. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time, um, and thank you for listening. You can catch us same time, same place next week. Thank you. Thanks, Al.
Allison. Thank you. <laughs>